Welcome to this edition of This Is Design Intelligence, conversations with leadership voices in the built environment. This edition is sponsored by the Tricord Group, leading successful relationship constructs for over 25 years, and VIM, helping the architecture and design disciplines design, deliver, and operate better buildings for a better world. And now, your co-hosts, Dave Gilmore and Lynn Barrett. Jamie Frankel is a senior partner at the law firm of Schiff Harden LLP in the construction law practice of the firm. He has been practicing law for 30 years in the New York City area. He is a great friend of Design Futures Council and Design Intelligence. Dave recently caught up with Jamie to talk about the New York City construction industry and COVID-19. Let's listen in on their conversation. I'm glad that you were able to join me, and we have a series of topics to talk about, Jamie. We're going to talk through a series of themes that we've we've discussed before that are probably more relevant now than in any other time uh, based upon our current battle with the COVID-19 virus. Uh, The topics are around labor and what's happening in the development community, uh, about the impact on supply chains, Um, around a risk, um, around um, how does this impact our contractual documentation? Uh, Where are we in the idea of uh, liability coverage and uh, topics around uh, research and development credits uh, that the uh, federal government allows under certain conditions? So quite a number of, of themes for us to cover in this brief call together. Um, so, uh, greetings. Where am I speaking to you from today? I'm sitting in my library at home, north of New York in Westchester County. All right. So, um, we're in the full bloom of spring here in Atlanta. Well, Jamie, when we, we think about the, what's happening, we're seeing a lot of people being laid off in the industry. Um, um, many jobs have stopped altogether. Um, we have, of course, the difficulty of uh, social distancing, in, particularly in construction sites. This makes this very difficult. I was just wanting to hear some of your insights and observations about perhaps what's going on in the greater New York area uh, to begin with. David, we're, we're looking at New York, but we're also looking at the other points of interest around the country for two reasons. One, we practice around the United States, and we learn from our colleagues and our partners and teammates in other parts of the country about what's working there as well. But if you'd like, we can start in New York. Should you we want, do that? Let's begin in New York and then uh, just go out from there to get a, maybe a better view of what's happening in the country. New York is an epicenter of COVID-19, It's also the epicenter of labor. It's also an epicenter of low productivity when compared to other sites around the country. Pre-COVID, for instance, Dave, you and I have talked about over the years that there are work processes that are found in the West Coast that are not found in New York. So our rate of productivity has always been challenged by work rules and the disintermediation in the labor movement, covid has exacerbated those issues. And I'll give you one example. In our tall buildings, whether it's a government or a private sector project, 
the hoist that brings up men and material, labor, men, women, and material in the morning and throughout the day is a point of congregation. The labor force in New York is refusing to get into those hoists with 35 people in it. What that's doing to productivity is amazing. And just today, the governor announced a reduction in exemptions in the private sector. So we're seeing more private projects starting to close down in New York. Hmm. So, it, but it, it's understandable that 30 people wouldn't want to get in a lift to go to the top, right? It is totally understandable. And, and, and therefore, you know, this is just the domino effect of uh, this confusion around this virus, uh, which is just, uh, who would have thought that something so simple and organic in nature could turn us on our back and expose the underbelly of uh, the nation, uh, but uh, in particular, our industry to so many vulnerabilities at this point. Can we open up that a bit, David? Yes, please. Let's do. During the course of normal times, even normal times that are economically challenged, contracts are negotiated, executed, and then put away. And unless there's a real problem on a project, are not referred to. During these times, those contracts are going to be taken out of file, and they're going to be the subject of great scrutiny. In my practice as a lawyer, representing all elements within the built environment, we're looking at it from the owner's perspective on contracts that have been drafted by others. We're looking at design agreements. We're looking at CM agreements. And when we are a CM and not an owner, we're looking at the covenant. Those covenants, they is they were written in poor ways by others, not contemplating not just the worst, but extreme situations, those contracts now will be rewritten. We're also concerned about the supply side of those contracts as well. So uh, speaking on the supply side, um, of course, we, we've become so uh, dependent on our supply chains from different parts of the world. And, uh, you know, we know what's happened in China uh, we expect a more responsible behavior from corporations in the United States to not put so many eggs in one basket. Uh, but we have other uh, critical areas of supply, like Italy, which is uh, provides us with so many components as well as end products uh, for the built environment industry. And yet, Italy is has been is under assault uh, by the COVID nineteen. We've seen a drastic loss of life. Um, certainly Spain, uh, the same, just a rising cost of life. And yet we have a direct uh, a supply chain provisioning coming from, from Spain. We're seeing it all over the European Union. How, how are you seeing uh, this? Uh, it's either a, a constrained uh, supply chain or in some cases a complete shutoff of, the, of that supply chain coming into U.S. projects. And what is that meaning to contract liabilities and timeframes? And, and how does that splash over to the, the funding and the performa performance of given projects? The answer to that question is that owners have covenants that direct when they have to pay interest. The question will be, does COVID stop those interest payments? We don't believe that they do in most cases, which means owners have to keep projects in motion. And the supply chain is just part of that. We've taken a study of European supply chain from two perspectives. We're speaking to major manufacturers in Italy, and we're speaking to U.S. manufacturers 
that lost business to the European Union manufacturers by way of example. Question, David, is will those foreign manufacturers be able to produce what they said they were going to produce on time and on budget and quality? Will their workers come back to them? Will they be healthy enough to come back to them? So we're looking at termination for convenience clauses in our contracts for our owner and GC clients. And we're looking at who could replace those foreign manufacturers here in the United States. It's a serious consideration. Yeah, particularly if even the the sake of raw materials that we may not have that they have over there is going to create a different type of specification and output. So these are these are meaningful uh, discussions uh, that that spill right over into the human experience. We have. I'm going to go back to the to the case of uh, we've we've started to see layoffs in the industry. We certainly are seeing it in multiple other industries around uh, the United States. We've seen a a record hit on our unemployment claims that hit the United States just yesterday, and I'm, I suppose is escalating even as we speak. What are we thinking about the longer-term effects of this sudden uh, jolt to the labor markets? And how are you folks looking at this from a, a legal standpoint? And I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm asking the right question, but I'm, I'm posing some issues here that I guess I'd like you to speak into. Let's talk about the labor force out there. Let's talk about preservation of the labor force. We're only in week two. The promise is that we'll be sitting here and be in place in our homes maybe as much as a month more and maybe more, unfortunately. In New York, there is the latest reports that we should hit peak at about April 21st. And as you've seen in the media, we're a headwind or we are ahead of the wind. What, what happens in New York is going to spread across the country. Those knowledgeable scientists are telling us. So what does that mean to our current labor forces. And and the question is, how can those labor forces be retained in place? How can you afford to keep them retained in place? And we are working with some really interesting perspectives of how to do that on the manufacturing side, how to keep those important assets compensated, at least to the net income they were receiving by a combination of unemployment insurance and other tools that you and I have spoken about offline, David, to keep everyone's present employer employees in place, at least for the foreseeable future. What we're experiencing are reports where there are organizations, firms, uh, um, architecture, engineering, and construction firms who who seem to have had uh, uh, retained earnings that allow them to have this rainy day fund to support them through this gap. Of course, it's not endless. It's, it's going to dry over a period of time and become constrained. And we see some firms taking proactive uh, measures to, to extend either getting credit or being able to reduce wages without losing headcount, which I think is absolutely critical at this time. When we look to the, the longer future, though, um, I guess our question comes down to where, where does our liability coverage in insurance programs work for professional services firms in this space? Uh, is, there, is there any type of liability coverage uh, for such work stoppage under pandemic uh, uh, conditions? It's not like that would be a, a, a typical thing. Somebody would say, hey, I need some pandemic insurance when I go out uh, to have my organization covered. Any thoughts on that? 
I do have thoughts on that, and we've been conferring deeply with uh, the insurance industry on this subject. Business interruption policies, which most think will cover this kind of a loss, don't. The insurance industry believes that they will not take a hit. Having said that, Dave, the next comment that we make to our clients is that they should examine their individual policies carefully because there may be coverage based upon the facts in that geographic area for that particular design firm. Let's use a design firm as a beta. They have to look at their contract of insurance, the facts that they find themselves in, and then they're going to have to be working with creative designers, as creative as they are, with those designers that can shape arguments as to why a policy that some might not think would cover the risk, in fact, does cover the risk. So it's not just black and white. There is, there is a need here for, uh, for careful scrutiny of our policies to look at what our potential opportunities are and then to bring some, uh, some creative folks together, uh, I'm guessing from, from the uh, legal community, uh, potentially from the accounting community, uh, as well as from uh, just the functional work community that, uh, of the domain, to best align our, uh, the probabilities of coverage with the stated uh, words of the, of the contracts. Yeah? Yeah, let's talk about the three-legged stool, David. In in pursuing claims against the carriers, whose first response is going to be no coverage, we're sorry. If the design firm wants to look at this in a a proactive way, they need to put the three legs of the stool together. They need their broker, who has been promising them great coverage for all of these years. They need their lawyers that can work closely with them on insurance coverage issues. So the lawyers will need to have that expertise. And then because of the nature of construction, we think that in addition to coverage counsel, the third leg of the stool are those lawyers that are intimately involved in design and construction issues, from contract drafting and negotiation to dispute, framing, and resolution. So we're asking uh, our clients to create a three-legged stool with their broker, with their insurance coverage counsel and their construction counsel, whether the client is an architect, an engineer, a contractor, a CM, a vendor, manufacturer, and then spend some time, make a small investment, develop an initial strategic plan, and determine whether or not a viable argument can be made, because going down a road that has no good ending is not a road to go down. But if your followers at Design Intelligence can feel comfortable putting their own three-legged stool together, it's worth a small investment of time and dollars. I think it could yield some tremendous benefit to to certain firms. Certainly, it isn't a panacea for all ills, but, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. And these are unusual times that require us to do some unusual things to, to, to find coverage for ourselves. We, um, we are in desperate times, and so we need to be smarter. And wiser, you know. When I think about the times that we're in, uh, we were recently in a study at Design Intelligence, uh, speculating and beginning to do a, quite a bit of research on what we believe to be twelve primary areas of permanent change that will occur as a result of this pandemic. Uh, we have 
two different levels of change. We have 12 things that we think will change in the world in total, and we believe there are 12 things that will change permanently within the built environment industry. As a, an attorney who has practiced for several decades in this space, you've seen so many things. You've seen the comings and goings. We've seen recessions multiple times. We've seen uh, dramatic effects of geopolitical changes and uh, economic changes. Uh, this is a little bit different. This is almost a perfect storm. We're in a, 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 a very important electoral year uh, for our for our national administration as well as Congress and multiple governorships are up for grabs as well as almost all 50 states, uh, state legislatures are up for grabs in this political year. And in the midst of all of this, we're also, we're also dealing with uh, the transition in the uh, British and European Union divorce referred to as Brexit. Uh, we're, we're seeing a, a tremendous amount of diplomatic uh, grit in the system going on with China in our in our global trade dispute with them, and then smacked and there are many other issues around the world. Uh, just because I don't name them doesn't mean they're not important. But smack dab in the middle of all this, a giant black swan comes and settles down called COVID nineteen. But when you when you've experienced so much change in your uh, career and watching all this, what what are your words of advice first of all? to the to the practitioner uh, the construction owner the architect the engineering firm um, leader uh, about such times as this these are these are unusual times what's interesting david is that we've seen black monday in 1987 we've seen the burst of the bubble in 90 and 91 the ip bubble the same thing in 97 we've seen recessions and we've seen how we as Americans have responded in good ways and in bad ways. Then we saw 9-11, which changed the landscape dramatically as a country and a world. And we saw what was happening as an impact of these crises that we've lived through. And so that gives us some insight into the future now. And we're informed by the past, of course. What we've done historically in my practice, is have created new product to respond to the needs found at that time. Currently, as we saw ourselves coming into COVID, we developed a COVID program. We developed one for owners and developers, one for architects and engineers, one for major subcontractors, and one for major manufacturers. One of the common threads is the need for professionals to brainstorm how to create value right now for their clients. So architects need to create value for the owners who are trying to figure out how this is going to impact them. Accountants should be doing the same. Brokers should be doing the same. Lawyers should be doing the same. In addition, David, I think that no matter what our participation is in the built environment, we need to be speaking at least to our clients at least once a day because their needs are changing throughout the day. In order to focus them, give them a sense of confidence, giving them, giving them a sense of comfort, and keeping them comfortable that they have the capability to work their way out of this with our help and the help of others that we can bring to the problems that they're currently facing. But everything is being rewritten 
a final comment to address your question, though, Dave, is that I think that we need to act in some respect with some constraint and avoid a knee-jerk reaction because we will be judged by our employees, our counterparties, based upon the way we reacted to COVID. And the opportunity is large, the opportunity to do good and to be profitable or reduce and mitigate losses is right here. And I think most of it, Dave, is found inside of your resource at Design Intelligence. Well, thank you for that. We, we actually believe that uh, the work that we're doing is, is pretty meaningful uh, around this space. We've, um, we've set up a hotline, have been with just unbelievable number of people. It's, it, I've run out of, uh, out of the count as we talk through uh, different issues. But I, I want to focus toward the future at this point. As we look to the post-COVID-19, we don't believe there is such thing as a post-viral because we think viruses are going to continue to populate and propagate. But for this particular one, COVID-19, we're going to make it through this sometime, hopefully, in this calendar year. And as we recover, uh, our, our belief is that there's actually a pretty tight trampoline at the bottom of this. And we'll see what we're referring to as the trampoline effect. We're going to see a, a, a burst of energy and of, of forward movement. Uh, it's interesting, though, if you're playing the equity markets you've, and you stayed in too long, you probably lost a lot of money. But it is not the proclivity of most of the developers or the owners or the major financiers uh, to play in those equity markets and be subject to such loss. So we're, we're believing that uh, there is a tremendous amount of capital that's sitting on the sideline at this point waiting uh, until uh, there's a resolution and that that capital will be uh, redeployed uh, as the market settle down and as a solution uh, comes into play that brings consumer and business confidence uh, back up as it should. Uh, but as that happens, one of the things that I'm personally very concerned about is that we don't go back to business as usual, that we take this opportunity to reinvent and re-engineer as appropriate our fundamental business practices and services, the way that we look at our agreements and our contracts, the way that we need to move from being combatants to being collaborators in every way uh, for the common good. And it would seem to me that the, the, the owner-developer community, uh, if there was ever a time that you would be looking for partners to fulfill uh, construction projects from architecture and engineering, construction, and the multiple trades, it would be those that come together in collaborative constructs to create the best value for the dollar spent in the development community. Am I just whistling Dixie here, or am I seeing this this catalyst, this very negative catalyst, as a potential change in attitude from what we've seen in the past and maybe a new dawn? You'd like to believe that, that there will be a new dawn. Let's divide the answer to that question into three parts. The first is that there's a big difference between fear and danger, yet most people are treating them as the same at this time. Fear is expressed in a generalized manner, it causes people to feel scared, worried, and upset, and it leads to a paralysis. Dangers, however, are specific, and they require immediate action. 
depending upon the way uh, your clients and ours treat fear and segregate it from danger will make a difference in how they communicate about the common problems that projects will be facing during and post-COVID. question is, David, are our clients, yours and mine, taking a look at COVID, and are they saying this is a place to fear, or are they saying this is a crisis that shouldn't be wasted? If they're saying that this is a crisis that shouldn't be wasted, the question around that conference room table, which is my conference call today in most jurisdictions, is how can we bring value to our clients, not waste this crisis, and secure the future of our design firm, our construction firm, our professional services firm. We have to move away from paralysis. Paralysis will cause people to be seized in place, and there will be a tension coming out of this. David, I think that you're a leader in this space, and I think your following is so large. I forgot how many people you, you, you approach every month in, in, in what gets published inside of Design Intelligence, but I remember the number being huge. I believe that, that you have a responsibility to change the dynamic after we segue through COVID-19. And I think wisdom will trump paralysis, but there needs to be leadership. Your members need to show that leadership. They have to show their creativity and capability, not only to their employees, but to their customers, their clients. They have to understand what's happening with the manufacturers and the subcontractors and the major primes. Turn a call for sophisticated thinking. And David, people that have time and grade are going to bring that, that balance to the conversation. People that haven't seen this before are going to make the same mistakes that were made by their predecessors. But this can't happen here. There needs to be real leadership, creativity, and capability. And that has to be demonstrated every day to our clients and to our counterparties. And we have to treat people civilly. That's going to be a real challenge, David, treating people civilly. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, it was interesting. I was on a call today with a CEO of a global design firm, very large firm. And the question came up, so what now? What do we do now? I mean, honestly, and after listening to the litany of, of worries, you know, my statement back to this person was, what's in front of us is a design problem. We need a new design for business, a new design for relationships, and new design for the instruments that tie those relationships together in this new construct. And I, I posed to this person, uh, uh, in the worries about your different relationships with uh, owner developers, have you considered taking your your lead consultant engineer and yourself and perhaps the uh, the lead stakeholder in the construction side and the three of you going and sitting with the owner and saying, let's talk through a future state solution. Let's start uh, acting in a more collaborative, if not almost in an alliance fashion on how we're going to address these issues. Well, the phone was just completely quiet, and after a bit, uh, the, the person said, where do you come up with this stuff? And, and I, my response was, common sense. Um, Mark Twain said, common sense is not so common. And isn't it true that when we're scared and when we're in trouble, that common sense would say, let's get together? Don't, aren't we better together than alone or in our silos? Common sense says, 
if we're struggling, if we're worried, if we're, if we're not sure about the future, let's come together and in a design thinking way, let's put together a solution that mitigates at least and eliminates at most future risk like this. And it just seems like uh, more common sense needs to be brought to bear in these times. I love your delineation between fear and danger. The reality is, is there are, there are many things that are dangerous. Uh, we don't have to be afraid of them all if we're practicing good risk management at the end of the day. Uh, any thoughts around some of those topics? I do have some thoughts, David, and I don't consider myself an original thinker. I think I'm a great aggregator. I think, though, that we have to take a look at the amygdala. I think we have to take a look at the amygdala at this point in time. That's the part of the brain that functions when they are in a state of fear and stress and anxiety. And there are three choices that our brain tells us about when we are in that stressful situation. One is to stay and fight. The other is to flee. We need to be working from the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex, which is the executive thinking part of our brain, needs to be the place from which we think this through. And working with you, Dave, over the years, I'm always amazed at what you think and what you say. But I know that you operate from the prefrontal cortex. And experience allows you and others, and I hope myself, not to think from the amygdala. I think that we need to go on a media diet, and that's important. I personally plug into the news in the morning, and then I plug into the news at dinner. And I work at my desk here in my library for the rest of the day, and I stay away from the news as much as I can. The second strategy that a friend of mine developed named Teresa Eastler at Connect to the Core is the strategy of being grateful. We have to be grateful, and we have to sit back and count our blessings. Yes, we are in for a tough fight or a tough negotiation. But we need to be generous. We need to be generous with our employees. We need to be generous of spirit, generous of compassion. But more importantly, we need to take a look at the what-ifs that are available to us and take a look at how we can use our, our labor force and our skill sets in a different way post-COVID. That's good for the community, good for our clients, good for our employees and the projects that we're working on. And if we don't operate in the amygdala, we won't be paralyzed we'll be able to make a distinction between fear and danger. David, we need to inspire our clients by letting them know that we're going to be with them and by their side through this time. I think that the leaders of large and small professional services firms, whether they're building or designing, or they're accounting or they're lawyering, they need to have a proactive strategy and they're part of tomorrow's solution. They're part of today's solution. And they have to be thinking rationally. And they have to learn from the lessons of 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. How long ago was Black Monday in 1987? That was a long time ago. What did we learn back then? And who's around that can tell the message to the present folks that are, are here now and are paralyzed? I hope, Dave, that in part answered your question. Yeah, it, it really did. And as you're, even as you're, you're, Speaking, I'm writing, I, I, I pulled six things from this. Uh, guard your mind. Uh, express gratitude. Uh, get creative. Stay connected. Be strategic. And remember our history to leverage it forward for lessons learned. These are, these are really just fundamental and pragmatic and powerful themes. 
Jamie, thank you for joining us today. This has been a meaningful time. We're going to call this part one because I think we're going to probably need to get back on a call again in the next month and do this again, particularly as we progress through this period. And I just want to say thank you so much. You've been such a good friend and a good counselor to the folks here at Design Intelligence. We appreciate your insights and everything that you bring to us. Um, Thanks again. David, thank you for letting me be a small part of your world. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of This Is Design Intelligence. Sponsored by the Tricord Group and Vim. The producer for This Is Design Intelligence is Laura Spells. Sound engineering by Jared Knabel. This has been a DI Media Group production.